0: Father, you are an amazing God, so amazing that you sent your one and only son into the world to forgive sinners like us, to reconcile us to you, and to help us, to uh, empower us to live by your spirit in this new grace, in this life. Uh, Please help us to listen to your word now. Please grow us through it. Help us to love it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear can be a disorientating fog. One of my favourite pastimes is surfing. I'm hopeless at it, but I really, really enjoy it. Uh, One one, uh, day I got plucked up the courage to go out on my own. Uh, There was really no one out there except one other bloke, and we kind of had this break all to ourselves. It was this really beautiful day. I remember sitting on my board, uh, just waiting for the next set to roll in, and um, at the corner of my eye, saw this fin come out of the water. I got the shock of my life. This is my worst nightmare. I'm kind of eyeing up the other guy. I mean, he's about the same size as me, so there's no incentive either way. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh man, I better, um, I better ask him if he saw it, because if he didn't, I, I was out of there. I was just going to be paddling for my life. Um, and so I said, hey mate, did you see that? He was like, you know, typical surfer way. Yeah mate, dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to tell you, it was such a relief, though. In a moment, all my fears just vanished, you know. I had warmed up the wetsuit for nothing. (laughs) The thing is, you know, um, not all brushes with fear are so brief, are they? What do you do when the fog of fear sets in for days, for weeks, maybe years? When a school bully promises to post embarrassing photos of you on Facebook. Or when a complaint has been lodged against you uh, to HR because of your religious views, or at least your expression of them. Or when the hospital doctor tells you that your loved one, well, they just might not make it. What do you do when the fog of fear sets in? So Psalms are wonderful because they're like this two-way street. It's kind of God speaking to us, but also he gives us the words to respond back to him. The Psalms are God's kind of authorized means of expressing our emotions to him. In the fog of fear, they're kind of like these wonderful runway lights that kind of help us land our, our wonky emotions and our unstable hearts somewhere safe. For a few of us, uh, we need the psalm tonight, today. We're dogged by fears now. Uh, For others of us, we we just simply haven't lived long enough. That's not our fault, It's a good thing. We haven't lived long enough to really walk through the gates of fear. When our fellow Christians ask us for prayer because tragedy is about to strike them, or at least it looks like it's on the horizon, what words will you say? This psalm gives you the words. And this psalm also expresses our unity with the persecuted church. As we pray it or as we sing it, we kind of join in with the suffering body of Christ, the international suffering body of Christ. We join in with uh, Chinese underground house churches. We join join in with uh, abused Christians in India. We join in with imprisoned pastors in, in Iran Tonight in Psalm 56, we're going to travel with God's king as he journeys from real fear through real faith to real praise. So let's jump on in. It would really be helpful tonight if you could follow along. It's on page 517. Uh, We'll just be going through and kind of uh, following what the psalmist is is on about. The title of the psalm, as you can see from page 517, is uh, this. It says, For the choir director... Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. For the choir director, according to A Silent Dove Far Away, a Davidic miktam when the Philistines seized him in Gath. This is one of David's most dangerous life moments. They're not ones you want to repeat, or how very often. It's when David was captured by the Philistines in a place called Gath. Uh, David is the greatest Old Testament king in Israel, but it wasn't always so. At this time, God had anointed him king, but another man ruled Israel. God had promised him the throne, but another man sat on the throne. Psalm 56 comes from David's life, but I hope you can already see how it points beyond David to another king, to a king you know personally. A king chosen by God, but overlooked by his people. A king promised to rule, but rejected and despised. A king who's faced the fear of death, but trusted in his heavenly father through it. But for now, we're back with David and Gath. And 1 Samuel chapter 21 gives us the background story. See, David is between a rock and a hard place. In the east, he's hunted by King Saul, the king of Israel. And in the west, he's wanted by King Akish, if you 've seen the Bourne identity it 's kind of like David is like jason Bourne you know he 's a fugitive on the run he 's driven from every safe hiding place. You know, he escapes straight into the hands of the enemy king of King Akish. Uh, if David was an American, you know he, he might have some hope. you know President Obama would get the call uh, we 've got a man in trouble. And then you go, all right, boys, let's get into the security room. You'd have all the, all the big screens up, the infrared cameras of the satellites. We know we'd send in the drones for those close ups and find our man. Then we'd send in the Marines. The helicopters come in, they come down the ropes, shoot, they blow up all the bad guys, capture David, wish him away, and off he goes into sunset and then the credits roll. Well, that'd be good. Don't you wish? God answered prayer like that all the time? No, but, you know, President Obama won't exist for another 3,000 years. David's circumstances offer little human hope. Between King Achish and King Saul, David is a lamb caught between two ferocious wolves. David's living a real nightmare. How would you expect him to pray? Do you expect him to pray triumphantly? Every setback is an opportunity for a comeback. Amen. Do you expect him to pray despairingly? I'm finished. Just let me die. Listen to the spirit of Christ in this psalm. Direct his prayers. Verses 1 to 4. Praying from real fear. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, God. See, this is David's naked cry. For help. Continues. For man tramples me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day. I mean, it's it's claustrophobic in here for David. It's like he's being crushed in a mosh pit. His enemies pressing in on every side. And then just not attacking him between the hours of 9 till 5. Did you notice? They're working overtime, they're working late nights, early mornings burning both ends of the candlestick to get him. And in verse 2, before you, they're proud of it. For many arrogantly fight against me. These men don't fear God. They're operating like they're unaccountable, autonomous. David's rightly afraid. And so, in verses 1 to 4, David is honest to God about his fear. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't slap on positive thinking or quote a triumphant Bible verse out of its context. Rather, he points out his genuine raw emotion before God. He pulls it out before his God. See, David's God can handle raw human emotion. You know, in, in contrast to the gods of our world, it's not beneath David's God. You see, karma as an idea. It's just a force, and it's not a person. How could it ever care about your emotions? It simply can't. Or or take Allah. He's never walked along humans. He's never walked in their footsteps. How could he ever, ever truly sympathize if he hasn't been there? Or what about the atheistic universe ruled by blind mechanical forces? Your anxieties are immaterial to it. David cries out because his God can handle raw human emotion. And his God doesn't abandon him to the fog of fear. Listen to the Spirit of Christ guide David through faith. Verse 3. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not fear. See, faith is the direct opposite of fear. The anchor of David's faith is in a personal God, a God who speaks words and relates to people. As the waters of fear kind of rise up, David finds his footing on the rock of God's spoken word, on the promises that God made him. Verse 4, what can man do to me? Well, actually, David, humanly speaking, they can do quite a lot. They can. Um, when David was in Saul's courtyard, serving in the courtyard, this is when they were on better terms, he actually picked up a spear, King Saul, and kind of flung it across the room to try and impale David to the back wall. Saul's already sent assassins to David's home. He's even pursued David with an entire army. Imagine a scene from Lord of the Rings where, do you remember the black riders, those guys with the black capes on those horses? You know, he's sent guys in hot pursuit of these, of these fleeing hobbits, except it's David. If you don't know what a hobbit is, apparently you might see one just over Tom Ugly's Bridge. <laughs> but I've never seen one, so I'm just putting it out there. Here David is captured by the Philistines. It's not Saul he's in trouble with now. It's the Philistines. I mean, this is their chance to get a, uh, to revenge the death of Goliath, to pay David back for all his military campaigns and raids. Sitting in a cell, I wonder if his mind wanders back to judges. Do you remember the last Israelite hero captured by the Philistines? Let me describe him to you. Unlike me, he's kind of got big muscles. Long, flowing hair. You do well in a shampoo ad. It's a bit of a hit with the ladies. And sorry, ladies, it isn't Chris Hemsworth. When the Philistines got hold of Samson, you remember Samson and Deliah, when they got hold of him, they gorged out his eyes and paraded him like a dog on a leash. These are not guys you want to mess around with. And David's real fear How on earth can he say, what can man do to me? Well, led by the Holy Spirit, David remembers the difference between mortal men and eternal God. The power, the magnitude, and the eternal nature of God is at work for David. How many of us are familiar with the kids' song, My God is so big? Give me a hand if you you know it. Yeah, there's a few of us. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Thank you. But when real danger strikes, how quickly do those words tend to just fly out the window? When we've got skin in the game, how quickly do we doubt God's size or his promises or both? John Calvin has some helpful thoughts which I've kind of paraphrased just to bring the English a bit up. Uh, He says this, he says, The great object which our enemies have in view is to shake our faith in the promised help of the Lord. And we are chargeable with limiting his power unless we realize him standing at our right hand, able with one movement of his finger or one breath of his mouth to smash them to smithereens. That smithereens bit was me. But you get the point. But do you believe it? Do you believe it when, it's, when your worst fears are realized? When the internet trolls strike and you're in their targets? When you lose your job for being a Christian? David does. And so he says, genuinely, what can man do to me? And with that problem solved, we can all go home. go home. Not quite. You see, the turmoil continues. Have a look at verses 5 to 11. We pray through real faith. Verse 5. They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. See, there are whispers in the office. Rumors in the lunchroom. People talking behind his back in the playground. The enemy is stirring up malice like the way a child stirs up mud and puddles. Their beady eyes follow David across the room. Verse 7. Will they escape in spite of such sin? God, bring down the nations in wrath. How can David pray such a bold prayer in his predicament? It's because he knows his suffering matters to God. Verse 8. You yourself have recorded my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your records? You see, somewhere deep in the heart of God is a vault. A vault holding bottles of what looks like precious diamonds. But they're not diamonds. They're the precious tears of God's adopted children. Each bottle carefully documented with their names. And there is one bottle that stands out among the many. One bottle holding the blood-red tears of Jesus, which he shed to ransom children for God. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You see, it can be scary to put your head above the parapet as a Christian at home, work or school. Jesus spoke about sending his disciples out like sheep among wolves. But we can step out as followers of Christ because God will not let wolves go unpunished because the sheep of Christ's pasture are very precious to him. And this knowledge of God leads David to confidence. Have a look with me at verse 9. Then my enemies will retreat on the day when I call. David probably didn't get an immediate answer to prayer. I don't think it's sing the psalm and presto. But he does grow in confidence that salvation will come. Verse 9 again. This I know, God is for me. See, that's an easy verse to say in church, especially from a pulpit. But how much harder is it to say it in a cell or in a hospital bed? In my experience, it's this truth which the devil attacks most ferociously, most consistently. He did it in the Garden of Eden and he's been doing it ever since. How can David really be sure that God will pull him through? I mean, really, what's, what's David got to stand on? See, his money can't buy him out of this. His muscles can't bust him out. His personal contacts can't help him out. Did you know, no one preaches to yourself more than you? Listen to David preach the promises of God to himself. Verse 10. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not fear. What can man do to me? God's promises minister to David in his fear. Can we be sure sure God will pull us through in the end? Us here today? Absolutely. Because he's pulled Jesus through. God raised Jesus from the dead And as we are united to him, we too will in the end be raised from the dead. Are you united to Jesus? If you are, then you are bound to Jesus. It's like there's a bungee rope with one side attached to you, and on the other side it's attached to Jesus in heaven. And that bungee will pull you right through the grave and into eternal life. What can man do to us? The person and promises of God have moved David from fear through faith. And now in verses 12 to 13, to real praise. I'm obligated by vows to you, God. I will make my thank offerings to you. David is looking forward to the return to God's temple, the sanctuary where he will offer praises and thanksgiving. Verse 13, for you delivered me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before God in the light of life. It's the salvation of God that fuels David's praise. Not the quality of the music or the special effects or the passion of the person out the front. It's the salvation of God. And David hasn't even got the full picture yet. Imagine if he knew that the Messiah would... that um, that the Messiah was to be crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, to suffer, to be buried, and on the third day rise again, according to the scriptures, and to ascend into heaven, would be seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, I reckon if David knew this, then his praise engine would be on overdrive. Wouldn't you just love to thank God alongside David? It'd be infectious, wouldn't he? to overhear him say these verses to his family and friends. God delivered me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before him in the light of life. Well, our flight with David has now come to an end. The plane has landed and it's time to disembark. David has journeyed from real fear through real faith to real praise. In this broken world, the fog of fear is inevitable. Even more so when we stick our necks out for Christ. We can be truly honest with God about our fear. He loves us and love opens the door to honesty. He's our heavenly father. How much more love can someone have than a parent and their child Will you begin to adopt the psalms for your own? When tragedy strikes, when fears overwhelm you, will you remember God's words? Ultimately, they're Jesus' songs and prayers. He's the lead singer, and we have the privilege of joining in with him. Will you sing them? Will you pray them with your Lord, with Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you so much for the Psalms. We thank you for the gift that they are to us. We confess that when we ignore them, we're impoverished. Please help us to make use of these great gifts. Please help us to uh, see you in them your faithfulness, your steadfastness, your love, your majesty, your power, your justice, and to see the beauty of Jesus in them. Please help us to be honest with you in fear so that on the day when it comes, we might turn to you. In Christ's name, amen.